You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders. I'm Cooper. I help connect business with tech talent, and today I'm your host. Welcome back to another episode of the Evolution Exchange Podcast. I'd like to say a big thank you to everyone for joining me today to discuss the topic of uh, the importance of diversity and inclusion in tech. Let's kick things off by meeting today's panel. Anne, do you want to start us off? Hi, my name's Anne Conlon. Um, I'm a Senior Development Manager for CETA Aerospace. Um, I run a, a team of engineers. I'm based in Sydney. Um, I have been a career software developer, um, so um, I've always stayed uh, technical. Um, my um, interest areas, um, I um, have been involved in graduate program development at work, and I really enjoy that, bringing new people into the workplace. Um, I also have a strong in- interest in, um, in data and the use of data pretty much throughout life. Um, I, I'm obviously very interested in, in cybersecurity at the moment, especially um, from the point of view of, uh, of board anxiety about cybersecurity. I'm a candidate for the Women in Leadership Development um, in the 2022 cohort, um, so I've recently qualified as a company director. Uh, what I do in my downtime, I'm a park runner. So every uh, Saturday morning, uh, I run 5K and um, uh, and then I chinwag for about an hour with my running mates. And that's one of the things I love to do. Um, I have a family and um, keep very, very busy. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's me. Awesome. Thanks so much for that, Anne. And Susie? Um, hello. Um, I'm Susie John. Currently, I'm senior Flutter developer at Accenture. Um, I'm so I'm very much into the code, and I really love to, to develop application on the mobile, mobile specifically, because I, I really love to, to bring the ideas into people's hand by, by creating the code and, and transform the, the design into, into the application. Apart from the work, um, I'm also passionate about mentoring other young developers and help them to, to get into the workforce with, without without the gap, we, we call it the gap of, of the new fresh graduate. So I'm really trying so hard for that. And outside of the coding life, I love handbag design. I like to design my own handbag and I also love to travel. So that's me. Perfect. Cool. Um, it's great to meet both of you today. Um, so we'll get stuck into it. And did you want to start us off with your question, please? Yeah. So um, diversity, equity and inclusion, uh, DEI, is a big theme in recent years. Um, what do you see as good DEI policy for organizations to support and encourage w- women working in STEM? Um, so, um, just to kind of um, give this a bit of context, um, my thinking is that uh, DEI should underpin culture, uh, company culture, organizational culture. It should either be stated explicitly or implicitly in a company's values. Um, to be clear, um, 
from the outset, uh, gender diversity isn't a problem to be tackled by women. It is to be tackled by everyone. And I think that needs to be um, known and recognised. So uh, the general areas that I would see as um, needing to be rolled out or worked on is that you drive um, gender diversity from the top. It should be driven from um, from the organization's board through the exec, its senior management to the full membership of an organization. Um, we need to support women in leadership roles. Um, there's a big need for women in leadership, especially in Australia. Um, we need role models for those um, uh, coming through from school, from uni, all levels of the organisation. Um, development in this area is um, pretty much essential in organisations um, uh, to address gender balance. Um, we should see women at every level of an organisation. Unfortunately, um, we, we're not seeing enough in the senior levels and um, even on at the board level. Um, by by um, having women visible in leadership roles, it um, shines the light on um, potential for other women to follow suit. You know, there is that adage, um, you know, we can't be what we can't see. So we need, as women, we need um, uh, someone to look up to. Um, And this extends to uh, cultural diversity, especially for women. Um, Women of colour need to be represented in leadership to encourage cultural diversity across the female workforce. I think there have been enough mistakes made on the white male over-representation in all levels and that we don't really need to repeat this in in female representation. So that's kind of on the leadership role side. Um, Another thing um, that should be done and is being done, I think, in a lot of um, progressive organisation is is making flexible work available to everyone. Um, And that's flexibility of how and where the work is performed. Um, You can take on discrimination or bias potentially, or you can take it out of um, the equation by making it available to everyone and not um, gender specific. Um, And then finally, um, for everything that an organization does on tackling DEI, they need to be accountable. So it's really all about building a roadmap on um, um, what and how you can achieve this. What does um, DEI actually look like? What are the resources and strategies um, and projects to achieve it? Things like training, um, code of conduct, bias recognition, safeguarding against bias, um, gender targets, dare I say, quotas. <laughs> um, most organizations should be able to reference industry norm for their area and compare themselves to industry norm. For example, um, uh, I've got a Deloitte's link, which I'll share. 25% of females in technical roles as an average, and that's been increasing year on year 
um, about 1% since 2019. An organization could compare itself against the norm and see, is it trending as the norm, you know, the 1% year on year? Um, I think I have to add that Australia is less than the worldwide average in this area. So, um, you know, there is the recognition of that, but you look at the average and then you see how your organization is tracking against the norm. If you're tracking better than the norm, that's certainly a great story. You can tell um, uh, people to attract your staff. Um, other things that might assist achieving this um, policies for talent acquisition, staff retention, strategies for attracting females, training and promoting within an organization, sending out a message that a company values and supports gender diversity at all levels, from graduate programs to outreach to schools, support in the community and being out at the unis representing your organization, ensuring that everything you do as a company supports the message of diversity. Um, uh, you you know, you can send out um, uh, female representatives at industry events. Um, looking at diversity in everything that you do, for example, if, you're, if your company is on a panel um, at an industry event, then obviously you want a diverse panel. Um, if you're if you've somebody attending at an event, then you want to make sure the panels are diverse. So you can actually ask for these things and demand them. Um, your interview panels should have diversity. Um, uh, what does what does each level of your company look like? From the board right through exec, senior management. What do all the layers look like? Mm -hmm. uh, another area that um, has been used um, to advantage uh, is male champions of change. Um, so in a workforce. Uh, that is currently skewed towards men. We need to engage everyone we can in the solution. Um, and mentorship programs is another area that um, you can, um, I, I don't think enough, women, enough is being done for women. They're typically not offered the same opportunities as men in access to mentors highly placed in organizations. Um, uh, another thing I would say is that, uh, say within Australia, um, uh, networks are important. Um, uh, organizations and individuals should be looking for support both internally and externally in, in, in an organization for their DEI goals. Um, for example, there is like an ATSI Elevate Scholarship uh, for graduate, postgrad and leadership candidates for women. Um, there is the program that I've been involved with and have been fortunate enough to be a candidate for the Wild for STEM group. And that's all about developing women in leadership. Um, I've been lucky enough to be in the 2022 cohort and have been trained as a company director as a result of that program. And programs like that deserve our support and um, the other thing that works with programs like that, and I think it's especially relevant for women, is that we are great collaborators and supporters of one another. So when we do train somebody or we do put a network together, um, we expect people to give back. Um, so, you know, I will be giving back to the Wild for STEM program for years to come and encouraging women into it. Perhaps um, <laughs> you guys might have, have some comments. Yeah. Um, I'll let Susie go. 
I actually I, I'm more interested in in the part where where we try to put more women in the leadership role because from all the companies that I, I've met and I've known we don't have in, enough women in leadership we have one or two and then it they are used to used as example you know successful woman example but we don't yeah, token <laughs> yeah token that's right and we do not know their story we do not know how to reach there and when, when we try when we try to reach there it there's no clear roadmap mm. and and those those successful their story is not widely spread and yeah. we do not hear their story maybe they have a story but but they tell their story but it's not not you, you, you know it's hard for us to reach their story and, and to know what happened behind that the glory this is number one we, we need more women in tech leadership but we also need a roadmap how to achieve higher position as a, a woman because as a woman we are different from men we some sometimes we, we are more patient sometimes and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we are more patient and we have more responsibility responsibility in life compared to men right men cannot give birth women can <laughs> yeah and with with the roadmap most of the roadmap are so generic that i i feel that there are some gap women will need for example when someone get pregnant that, that we need at least three to six months to recover after birth and it's not counted in a roadmap and the recovery recovery after birth is not counted so yeah. i really i really like how, how you you explain all, all the part like that the organization really need to support women do you think an organization can actually if they are more skewed and most companies will be to having a much uh, a male dominated board how can they begin that transition would would you say um well it starts with um making uh, more women available as potential directors um uh encouraging women into that um i do having done the training as a company director i definitely recommend that but that comes at a cost mm. and that's what um uh and and that's that's a barrier as well for women you know if we haven't um made that leap into um uh, postgraduate before we start families um that's often like a complete barrier you know so if you if you you know you may decide that you've missed the boat on your, um, you know, your potentially expensive postgrad or company directorship training because, you know, uh, so women actually have more barriers when it comes to, um, uh, you know, uh, th that kind of, um, well, training or um, qualifications in some of those areas um, and actually when we were so there's a lot written up on the women the wild for stem um, website which I, I will add that as um, uh, information um, but you know they talk about um, women not having the you know the MBAs or whatever that is expected or the, the postgraduates that are generally expected as with board members and that that can be a barrier um, so it is about support women um, and there are so many capable and, and gosh so overqualified as well um, and you know beyond 
impressive women that I've come across. Um, uh, and uh, we need to be getting them into the boardroom. Um, uh, there are like, so there are good initiatives to, to kick that off. Um, and, um, and yeah, I think it's the, the, the capable people are there. It's about actually making room for them. Um, you know, we don't need to, and, and I would also say that, um, uh, one of the, the quotes off the, the wild site, um, is that the average age is, uh, 62 for a board member. Um, I think you might be able to contribute before you're 62. Um, um, and, and I, and I totally support, you know, working on in life. I plan to work beyond retirement. So I, um, I'll be up there beyond that age, but, uh, you can, um, you can get younger people in, um, and we need their, um, uh, mindset and, uh, perspective on things. Boardrooms need them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I guess, and they if, and they they so need women. Yeah, yeah mm. absolutely. I guess if you have one um, dominating type of personality, say it is um, more male orientated, sixty plus, you, you may end up with more of an echo chamber in your decision making process if you don't have the age difference, the diversity, the culture, um, and obviously the gender differences. Would would you say yeah. or? Yeah, I mean, I would say uh, I think it's kind of pretty much common knowledge that for every family, uh, um, uh, the, the 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 women do all the spending, um, and the you know the decision making to do with like spending from from that you know the household. So it is beyond belief that they're not in a lot of the. Um, the situations where people are talking about, you know, where people spend their money because we're the ones who make the decisions on the spending. Uh, So it is kind of, it's a bit ironic um, that um, we're left out of a lot of the analysis like that and a lot of those important discussions about predicting spending or predicting behavior or whatever. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Um, All right. Susie, did you have anything else you wanted to contribute to that one? Um, actually, there's one small part I, I, I'd like to add because I am a tech person, so I, um, I'm going in the tech direction. And what, one thing I noticed is that there's not, not many roles for women in tech. What I mean is that women can, can go up to senior, senior position in tech but can't go higher than that. It's really hard to go even higher than that. Those positions like architectures, guru, principals, architectures. So far, I'm not sure if it's not open to women or women cannot climb up there or women are not qualified, but I have not seen any principal developer or principal architect, which is a woman so far. I mean, what I've heard um, just from, you know, in recent discussions with the recruitment uh, is that people are finding there's no candidates coming in. So, gosh, there has to be some, um, yeah, some some room for there because they're crying out for like some diversity in those positions. So, I, yeah, I mean, I I wonder what the barrier is. I, um, I wonder what the barrier is as well, because... Because it's it's not like that. Nobody want to go. No woman want to go to those positions. Actually, we we want to. But then why why the company say that there's no candidate? 
and, and why the woman that I meet, they keep asking how to go to be a principal. Yeah. So what, what, what is actually missing in between? Yeah. And do you have an idea? I, I can't that? answer that question, but I'm very interested in what uh, in finding out about it. Yeah. Um, because it is my experience. I'm looking around at architects, um, software architects, um, and yes, I see primarily male, um, a few female, not many, um, and I, I, I'm just not sure um, career path wise why. Yeah, I can't answer that. Yeah. Yeah, there does seem to be a disconnect and it's I guess figuring out moving forward where that disconnect is and then um evaluating how to change that. Is that seem about right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I really really um valid point because there are a lot of those higher level roles and Susie's right. You probably don't always see um, a female in in those roles. It is usually quite, uh, and it is very male dominated. So it's definitely something to uh, consider, um, especially for the companies that are trying to shift that um, on their panels. Your um, thoughts, Susie, just in that whole mentoring area about whether to reach out to somebody who is like. Uh, like in that position or has gone up um, to find out um, because mentoring is a good pathway towards your career goals um, and um, getting somebody's perspective on what you need to do would be like a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Susie, I'll pass the Button on to you. Do you want to introduce your question now? Yeah. Um, so my question is, uh, my question is that what is the best practice for for organization when they hire fresh graduate? So, for example, when when companies want to hire fresh graduate, that there's usually a gap when when they are freshly out of the, the university into the workforce. And most of, most of the issues they face is like, they do not know how to work in team, teamwork. And some some companies, most of the company, we, we have policies or, or the way of working and, and we have to introduce that to, to them. And it, it normally takes two weeks to one month, up to one month to train them before they, they can really start working in the process. But then after that, they still need a lot of guidance during the, the process. Right. So for for from my experience for, for a fresh graduate to to actually join and work smoothly in a team, I, I normally need three months for them with close guidance. And then after that with minimal guidance and they can continue to work. The question is what is the best practice that we can reduce that time? And what what what's your opinion on what you think the best practice would be? I hope the university can do it. <laughs> <laughs> actually, actually, one of, of the one of the way that I try with with one of the, the best students I met so far is that I I, I really introduced very shortly, briefly how the way work. 
And within the first one week, I really sit with him and explain to him with, with this this work, how, how we have to do and, and have to do what we have, have to do, how we have to do it, and, and what is the best practice that I learned so far. And then after that, I told him to write a type of diary. Mm-hmm. And document it after after that he, he published the document and shared share it with the, the new joiner later. Mm-hmm. It's actually worked, but then I'm because I have only one ex- example that actually worked that way. So I'm not sure if he's the shining star or <laughs> that made that work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Um and What's your experience been with bringing on graduates or helping grads through their transition from being a student uh, into um, part of the workforce? Well, I have a similar experience to Susie in terms of uh, we actually are very first grad. Uh, He was uh, a bit of a shining star um, and he actually did document his, his onboarding. So um, I mean, we had everyone ship in, and but he um, wrote a load of notes, wrote them up, built a wiki for us um, as part of his onboarding. So he was already like um, contributing from the minute he came into the organization. And we have kind of used that and leveraged that as we've taken on grads. Um, I would say, what else do we do? Um, uh I agree with your three months. I think that's uh, that's that's my experience. Um, is that you know for the first three months you do a lot of support. Um, I and your team size depends as well. Who have you got to help? So I um, and my team are great in terms of um, we share on the onboarding and even beyond my team, uh, other teams like um, our ops group, our. Um, um, business test, uh, everyone ships in um, to um, uh, relate their area. Um, and uh, we've done it a good few times now so that people have prepped and, you know, they, they, they give the, you know, the spiel and it's pretty good. Um, uh, so that the supportive team environment is very important. Um, when, when, because my grad program is going about four years now, and um, I did get a lot of advice um, from um, another um, site, uh, you know, uh, globally, because we're a global organization, um, about, so they gave us a lot of their grad resources, and that helped. Um, it was also made very clear to me that grads come with. Um, you know, it's work um, to take them on. Um, I, and I like um, can speak for a small grad process because we are a small group. Um, we kind of um, we share around the screening and the interviewing um, uh, with the team members. Uh, we interview um, for good soft skills and a culture fit and a person who is autonomous. The tech skills are secondary to that. That's what we find. We expect people to come with tech skills, but um, uh, it's the actual culture fit and their um, mindset um, that um, identifies them as someone to us that will fit in the organization. So that's our, um, so I don't know, Susie, you might, uh, how do you go with screening your grads? Um, actually, uh, I, I don't get involved in the hiring. Yeah, okay. So, so the culture mm. fit, um, technical technical screening, 
those are not done by me. But um, mm-hmm. I only receive receive the one that is really recruited and give to me to yeah, yeah yeah that that's why it it make it a little bit harder for for me because I I I don't get to know him from the start. And Maybe there's some opportunity for feedback, but the people who um ha- who assist and um you know a bit farther up the pipeline, but um yeah. Uh, now what else do I have on that? Um, yeah, the, the other thing I find with grads uh, is that um, uh, this hybrid work environment we have now, um, um, we just have to be a bit careful um, because um, to give them enough connection, um, an opportunity for face-to-face learning with other team members, um, like the hybrid environment means sometimes it means less oversight and support um and we need to just be attentive to that um um that um uh younger people in the workforce rely on the office environment and social options from that uh, and that's very important in their early career and that we should really recognize that um so i kind of um you know, reach out to the team members to make sure um, that they are around and um, try and organize as much face-to-face as we can do. Um, yeah, so things like that, 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 I guess that's what I'm thinking. Oh, I have one, one other scenario to relate. Uh, we took um, uh, four grads um, across the organization um, and they were all kind of aligned with different, different managers. And we found... Uh, when we put them together in a project, um, uh, that that re- really was effective. Um, it gave them a little community. Um, so we asked them to build a, a deck on one of our key products for lunch and learn and for a- internal sales support. And it, it, it fostered a, a, a learning and a collaboration between the grads and across the other team members on, the so- on site. Um, they presented to our whole Asia Pacific group um, and they got some really good feedback and uh, like it was great for their soft skills and presentation skills. Um, and it gave them that, you know, um, confidence. Uh, so they, they did that within, um, I think, four months, around about the four month mark. Mm. Um, uh, and yeah, um, it was um, and, and we got feedback because the lunch and learns for us um tend to be um, from more um, like senior and experienced people. And um, uh, we, we heard that the, the lunch and learn was one of the top ones for that year that people really, um, you know, felt that they had done such a good job and came across really well. So that was that was a real, uh, really good team building and settling in process for grads. Yeah. Yeah. So that was an example of some good work done. There's one more part part about the fresh graduate I noticed is that they are quite shy when they speak and they they, they worry that they they say things wrongly. (laughs) You you, you know, so so because of that, it really stopped them from sharing their thought and they they just passively receive the information without actively looking for information. So is there any way that you, you can advise me to help them overcome that in the shortest time? I, I target like one week. <laughs> do you run agile where you where you are? Do you have like a, an agile um, methodology? Yeah, uh, we, we use agile. Yeah, and they're at stand ups every day. 
Uh, and it's because I find the stand-up situation is a an icebreaker or and an opportunity for uh, because you know they're involved. My like my graduates would be in that stand-up, um, mm-hmm. so they have to uh, present you know what they're doing and who they need help from for the day. And that that to me is kind of um, the the area that I find um, brings anyone out of their shell. Maybe I try to make the stand-up more fun. (laughs) (laughs) Would you say, Anne, when you had that experience of your four grads across the company that uh, ended up doing, uh, it was that project together, would you think that it's because they all had a common shared experience of being new and, um, I guess, being fresh into the industry that they were able to relate to each other, which helped them, I guess, grow that confidence faster or...? So they had a, like a little community, but the, the, you know, so that was what they had in common. Um, but what, what they had different, um, was that they came from different, um, courses. So they came with different skills. So some of them might, like there was one who was a data analyst and then, uh, you've got like somebody on the data side, you've got somebody on the engineering side, um, and, you know, coming from different, uh, and they had the ability, and we also had somebody internally um, kind of um, do a scrum master situation with them so that they had their own little scrum. Um, and um, that was a way for them to um, figure out the skill set that they could offer the project. Um, so they were able to self-organize and, you know, all of the standard stuff that goes with scrum. Um, so, you know, there was there was other learning that was beyond that um uh and actually another thing that um and this is to any organization who think that they're too small to have a grad um a a a grad on board um like uh you know uh our development team is not it's not that large um but uh we manage and we get such a lot out of having a grad um the uh individual team members uh spend time training that person in um and they get a lot out of that teaching experience um we get um some great um work done from this kind of you know newer mindset and just that um you know they're so on top of the latest technologies and um and just quick and bright and able to do stuff you know, so so I would recommend to any organization, even, you know, startups that think that they're too, you know, that they're running too fast and too busy. Uh, you know, they're they're very capable grads, um, you know, able to just jump in and make themselves useful very quickly. You know, if you if you screen and pick for the right ones. So, yeah, it's a great experience. I really appreciate that. We have a little bit of time. So I guess Mike question is um please share with us what diversity equality and inclusion means to you and why it's important so for me diversity meaning skin color age and also gender Mm -hmm. because um because i am asian (laughs) i'm not white so i'm asian and and for for asian people to to be out of their own country, you know, it is really some, 
at, at first, when, when I first left my country, I feel really very shy whenever I see someone who is bigger size than me or when, when I see someone who, who look brighter, prettier. So it's, it's like that type of that type of diversity. If, if I see, meet a group with, with different people in different skin color and gender and age, then I can learn a lot more from them and, and I, I will feel like I'm, I'm not so left out. Mm. But 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 if let, let's say in a group that is dominantly Caucasians, then I, I will feel a little bit shy because I'm not sure if my my background, my culture can fit in into the top with, with them. So that is what diversity means to me. Um, what is your other question? Equity uh, and inclusion? Yeah. Oh, I can give you an example about inclusion. So I'm co-organizer at GDG Melbourne. And in GDG Melbourne, they, they really care so much of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And with inclusion, there's a code of conduct that whenever I read it, I really feel warm. I really feel welcome. And it, it really like... Whenever we, we, we welcome someone new in, into the group, we always share share by by example how we should treat each other, how we should not look at how different they are, but only look at how unique they are. Mm. Yeah. And, and that 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 is very important to me and that that's really keep me with with the, the with with the group. Mm. Have you heard of GDG Melbourne before? I personally haven't. What about yourself, Anne? No, what does it stand for? It's Google Developer Group in Melbourne. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah. So I guess um, it's it's important for you because being from – being in Australia and being from a Asian background, feeling that inclusion where – you may not have had that when you first got here is really important because honestly, like at the end of the day, everyone just wants to be part of a team or a group. No one ever wants to feel alone and left out. So there's such a drive of importance for you bringing that into the workplace and throughout your teams. Yes, that's right. That's right. Awesome. Cool. Thanks for that, Susie. And what about yourself, Anne? Um, Okay, I, I guess I, I when I think about equity, I think about it in terms of representation similar to what um, um, Susie was saying, cultural, gender, religion, uh, regardless of ability, regardless about uh, neurodiversity or non-neurodiversity. I think that's, um, uh, it should also be about equity in compensation. Um, very important, very topical. Um, ultimately it's about fairness um, and offering a place of belonging in the workplace um, that's kind of what I think DEI should be about it should be that everyone should find a place of belonging in a workplace they shouldn't feel like um, uh, you know uh, other in the workplace Um and, you know, in the context of DEI, why is gender diversity so important? Um, 
we've got women at 51% of the population and it's pretty much ignore us at Chaparro. Um, I've got some reading material for people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a book. I don't know if you've come across it, Susie. Um, it's called Invisible Women Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. Um, and it's by Carolyn Criado Perez. Um, and uh, she, it's, it's, it's a really good book. I've read it um, a, a couple of years ago. Um, it gives a lot of examples about the fact that we live in a work in a world designed for men. Um, and some examples are things like heart attack symptoms that, you know, heart attack uh, symptoms have been taught to people um, in the way they manifest for men. Um, which are typically chest pains and shortness of breath, um, and that women experience heart attack in a lot more diverse ways. Um, only 50% of females get chest pains, apparently. Um, they typically get neck and jaw discomfort and maybe pain in their arms, um, and yet that's not what, you know, first aid, uh, I mean, maybe it's come a little bit further, but, uh, you know, really it's, it, it's it's all about the chest pains. Um, there's another um, example, or where they've talked about in the automotive industry um, that it's only in 2011 that they actually made crash test dummies that have a have a typically female body. So that's only in the last 10 years, 11 years. Um, so there are lots of examples um, of. Um, organizations getting it wrong due to bias towards uh, white males. Um, and I think reading that book, it it, it should um, tell everyone how organizations waste a lot of money um, uh, because of bias. Um, and that's really primarily, I think, a, a reason why organizations need to be invested in everyone solving this problem, the problem of bias and um, lack of gender balance. Um, and, yeah, I think generally it comes down to uh, if it's a pain in your pocket, um, you know, that that probably works wonders to, to you know, to try and drive change. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it for me. Look, thank you so much for both of you jumping on today. I really appreciate both of your insights. Um, I know I've learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Um, so I just want to say thanks to everyone for having great questions and contributions to put forward today. Uh, we'll leave the discussion here uh, for today. But again, I'd like to say a big thanks to Anne and Susie uh, for the great discussion on the importance of diversity and inclusion in tech. And thank you for all to listening. Uh, we'll see you next time on the next installment of the Evolution Exchange.